An airplane takes off from Larnaca, Cyprus in August 2005. A few minutes later, alarms begin to sound. But when the captain reaches out to the airline's operations center, the situation he's describing doesn't make sense. And he doesn't seem to understand what the engineer on the ground is trying to tell him. Since 1953, more than 4,000 people have summited Mount Everest, but at least 260 others have died trying. Some fell or froze, got lost, or got hurt. But still others went to their deaths confused and giddy. Capable and determined people suddenly rendered apathetic and unable to perform the simplest of tasks. So what do a commercial airline disaster and these attempts to conquer the world's highest peak have to do with each other? They are linked by the rapid onset of, ins- of an insidious illness, altitude sickness. Bum, bum, bum. I really Hi. struggled with that intro. <laughs> I apologize. We got there, though. You always write these really good intros, so. Thank you. Okay, go ahead. Um, hi again. I'm Denver, and welcome to Scary Science, an insomnious media production podcast where we will examine the darker side of science. I'm here with my co-host, Anna. Hi, everyone. I can't talk today, but Denver and I have a combined 15 years of scientific research experience. With this knowledge, we will discuss disasters, diseases, and dastardly data that is made for some scary science. In today's episode, we will be discussing, as you probably guessed, altitude sickness. Yay! Welcome to altitude. I can't talk either. It's the smoke that's blowing in my face. I think it's getting into me. I'm getting incense sickness. (laughs) Incense sickness. Mm. Altitude sickness. Have you ever experienced it? I don't think so. I have never been to a particularly high altitude i'm supposed to take a trip to (laughs) denver later this year so not denver the person denver colorado um so i guess we'll see but no where i am is about 1600 feet above sea level so it's like not very low but not very high so what about you i've been to denver I think that's the highest place I've been to. Um, And I mean, it's really dry out there too. That was my problem. My Mm -hmm. issue I had was dryness because originally from the South, we have humidity that's 120% each day. So soup, soup (laughs) air. So you kind of like swim through your day, Mm -hmm. Uh, but it's really good for your skin. Uh, And going to Denver, there were like, I was just like, you know, um, you know, when SpongeBob goes to visit Sandy for the first time and he like dries out really bad. Yeah. Patrick comes over and he does the same kind of thing. It was that like was that. me. Yeah, it was Patrick. <laughs> well, actually, they do say that altitude sickness and dehydration, one, are often mistaken for each other. And two, dehydration can really exacerbate altitude sickness. So you were just getting a double whammy, probably. I mean, I was drinking so much water and peeing so frequently. It was insane. It was insane. But apparently- That's when you need to put a stick of liquid IV into 16 ounces of water and hydrates better than water alone. Not a sponsor. I'm sorry. I just (laughs) listened to so many podcasts and that is a very common- (laughs) 
advertisement. I was so but, confused. I was like, did we get a, a deal that I didn't know about? No, but genuinely, <laughs> um, at that point, if you're drinking that much water and it's not helping, probably some rehydration like solutions, like, you know, for cholera would be helpful for you in that case. Uh, throwback to previous episode. What was yes. that? Episode three, season one? I believe so. I should know. I'm the one so, posting this stuff. I should know. Anyway, yeah, altitude sickness. Let's start. Yes. So altitude sickness, um, as you might have guessed, will occur at a higher altitude. It can begin in people um, as low as an altitude of 1,500 meters above sea level, which is about 4,900 feet. Uh, though some people may get sick at even lower altitudes. So if you are living much closer to sea level, it will take less of a drastic increase for you to get sick. So um, people from lower altitude climates are more susceptible. So New York City is only about- New 30. York City? New York City, center of the universe. It's only about 30 feet above sea level, give or take. Um, so when people travel from New York City to ski resorts above like Denver, they will get sick. Um, when physician was talking about how if someone goes directly from New York City to one of those higher altitude ski resorts, about 40% of people will get altitude sickness. But if they do a gradual, like if they do a stopover in like lower altitude Colorado and then go up to Denver and stay a night and then go up to the ski resorts, it reduces the risk. Nobody does that. I know. They just go directly there and then they get sick. But then they drink because it's a ski resort. And but that's even worse. Yeah, it makes it worse. But And they take sleeping pills, which is even more worse. <laughs> Worser. <laughs> Worser. So... I guess if you're from New York City and you're going to go skiing up in a ski resort. Um, take just the Oregon Trail. Go, yeah, take, take a very slow progression. Take six months to cross the United States. <laughs> so obviously, the higher up you go, the more dangerous it becomes. And pretty much anybody is going to become very ill at above 5,500 meters. So that is 18,000 feet. Um, clearly that's not going to feel good. And going above 6,000 meters is a very, very bad idea for anybody. Everyone. And everyone. Anybody, everyone. Even anywhere. you. Even you. Yes, you. You. And to pretty to do anything at that level, you're probably going to need supplemental oxygen. And that's why we don't have any permanent settlements that high. Humanity, I'm talking yes. about. Maybe the aliens do. I don't know. I don't know what their atmospheric pressure requirements are, but humans don't live that high up. They just chew some gum. They'd be fine. Uh-oh. Oh. The dog of wisdom. Got no, it. Mars attacks. Oh, Mars attacks. Similar sound. <clears throat> so what is altitude sickness exactly? Well, basically, since you're not getting enough oxygen. Which is bad. Simple enough, right? Yeah, you need that to uh, live. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty essential for living. 
Um, but there are many ways someone cannot get enough oxygen. You know, you can be strangulated, you can get suffocated. Strangulated? Strangulation. Yeah. Strangulation. You can be strangled. <laughs> <laughs> suffocation, aka suffocation. Um uh Carbon monoxide poisoning, uh, hooking a, a hose up to the end of your exhaust pipe. Um, I mean, none of these things have to necessarily be done on purpose. <laughs> but in the case of altitude sickness, the whole thing relies on pressure because yes. most people live in a what one atmosphere pressure. It's a happy pressure. Happy pressure, one atmosphere. That's what most of Earth has. One atmosphere the, of pressure. We love that. Very comfortable. One atmosphere of pressure, one G of force. Um, so I Sublime. hope everybody brought out their calculators because Hannah put in here some math equations. I actually didn't. <laughs> I refused to include it. There are alveolar gas equations and they involve pressure, kilopascals, atmospheres, square roots denominators and we're just not that kind of podcast sorry no if you want to look it up you can find it and you could probably if you're a math person figure out how to calculate the alveolar gas exchange rate for any given altitude but i'm not that no that's a negative you want to do that no c1 times v1 equals c2 times v2 that is what i need that's my that's my equation for my life <laughs> that's cute mine Thank is you. a squared plus b squared equals c squared that's excellent mine. how Good. can i get to the the point faster is it faster to go that way or not so oxygen concentration in the air is at about 20 percent normally 20 21 percent and usually people are at one atmosphere of pressure at higher altitudes there's less pressure. The percentage still of oxygen, the same amount of oxygen. Yes, it's the same, but the pressure is less. So you can't get as much oxygen in one breath as you normally would. Unless you're acclimated to that pressure. Yes. Which is what Hannah was getting at by ascending at a slower rate versus a one, a nonstop flight from New York city to Denver or your, yeah. your Vail ski resort. You have to acclimate. Accustom. Become accustomed to the pressure in which your body is living. Yeah. Um, but it, uh, at a higher altitude, because the pressure is different, it causes you to breathe more rapidly to make up for the pressure, the pressure difference. So trying to get more oxygen into you. Yeah. <gasps> Just that. that. Just like that. So at moderately higher altitudes, you can actually improve your physical or athletic condition. Your hematocrit goes up. There's more red blood cells in your, in your veins, in your arteries. Um, and there's a better oxygen exchange. Um, when, you, when you come back to one atmosphere of pressure, you get more bang for your buck because you're breathing at that pressure. So you've got all those red blood cells, you've got more hematocrit, your oxygen exchange is superb. Yeah. And this is why athletes do this because 
Um, it allows them to um, have more stamina. Yeah, better better oxygen exchange, so you get better stamina, so you don't get wore out as fast. So, you know, there's like athletes will go and train at at higher altitude, and and we're not talking like you know off season baseball training. We're saying like Olympic athletes, 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 things like that. They'll go up train at higher altitudes to improve their physical condition. So then when they compete at the lower altitudes, they'll have that competitive edge. Um, also sometimes, is it a barometric chamber? Hyperbaric chamber? That might be it. Like an that iron they'll use. Not exactly, but athletes will sometimes do that, like use those to get the same effect, but that's considered cheating. Cause it's like a, it's not substance use, but it's like a supplemental sort Oxygen of thing. Oxygen is a drug. Oxygen I, is a drug. Is it? Mm-hmm. It's a medication. It okay. needs to be prescribed you know, by a doctor. I never thought of it that way, but you are correct. They teach us that in cna training they're like that's one of those gotcha questions like is oxygen a drug because it's like no it's in the air but but supplemental it is. oxygen is a drug yeah so at a reasonably moderate altitude you're going to be fine if you're from a lower altitude you might get sick at first but if you acclimate it'll get better um but you can actually get not necessarily healthier, but your blood oxygen exchange can improve from that. But then yes. you get up to higher altitudes. Higher and higher. And that's when altitude sickness occurs. Beautiful. Because the rapid change in altitude from low to high or a rapid change in atmospheric pressure from high, one atmosphere, to lower, less than one atmosphere, not to be confused with explosive decompression. This is why I think I giggled earlier. Oh. Because I was like, is this foreshadowing for another episode? Like, I mean, we could do an episode on explosive decompression. That might be interesting, but I does it make do a mess? Well, I think there has only been one documented case of explosive decompression. Did it make history. a mess? Yes. Oh my God, I'm going to have to look it up. Um, and this is just for clarity, we're talking about explosive decompression of the human body, um, explosive decompression of like a spaceship or a plane or things like that. That's, I'm not going to say it's a normal occurrence, but that's a thing that can happen under standard circumstances. A human body explosively decompressing takes really high pressure. So like more than eight atmospheres to normal pressure in a very rapid um, amount of time. Where did that happen? Um, scuba diving. So deep sea, like scuba diving. So Would that my... be implosive? Or is it explosive? No. Oh, because they were coming from high from pressure low. to yeah, low. From the high pressure to low. Yeah, so this okay. person was at like quite an intense depth in the ocean where it was it was about eight atmospheres of pressure mm -hmm. and typically you know if you're scuba diving to prevent the bends well not scuba diving but deep sea diving you will come up gradually just like 
with altitude sickness, if you do things gradually, it's much better. And this person, um, their dive belt actually malfunctioned. So typically you have a dive belt with the weights where you can, your buoyancy can be adjusted. So you slowly ascend, Yeah. but it, it just like failed. And instead of slowly ascending, this person went from this intense depth to the surface really quickly. And that's not even Ben's level of a change in pressure. That is that's the is kind this of like thing. what happens to the blob fish because when it's normally in where it's yeah. supposed to live it's normal looking fish but then when they bring it up to the surface it turns into a little blob fish that's exactly it and i think both of them are cute by the way someone disagrees with you <laughs> that's normal <laughs> so one way or the other when you reach a certain level of altitude it doesn't really matter if you're physically fit or not you're going to get sick because it just reaches a point where it it overcomes the limits of the human body quite and what are the symptoms of that well there are different presentations acute motion acute motion sickness (laughs) acute mountain sickness or ams uh in its mildest form uh increased respiration is a symptom um, decreased exercise performance. So if you're fatigued, uh, and headache and, um, people believe that the earliest reference to, uh, altitude sickness is from a Chinese text that referred to certain mountains as headache mountains. That's cool. Right. Oh my gosh. I wonder if they had like a little sign, like headache mountain, watch out. Well, it was in the book. (laughs) They talked about the journey that they were taking, that they crossed the headache, these headache mountains. Oh, well, they should have put signs at the foot of them. So everybody knew in case they couldn't read. And there was at least a sign that said, don't climb this mountain. It'll cause a headache. But if they couldn't read, how would they read the sign? Pictograph. Fair enough. It's unclear whether this reference is for a particular mountain or just high mountains in general. Oh, well, if they had put signs, this would have cleared that up. Um, from High Life, A History of High Altitude Physiology and Medicine by John B. West. Yeah, so that's that's where I, I read about this, the, the Headache Mountain. So there's like Little Headache Mountain, Great Headache Mountain, Big Headache Mountains, like... Cute. Right? Also, we are not trying to plagiarize, hello, after the last episode, we yes, are not doing our podcasting misconduct. Get yes. into it get into it. Yeah. Other symptoms include nausea, shortness of breath, swelling of hands and feet, and sometimes even the face. So those are peripheral and um, locomotion symptoms. And then there's insomnia and excessive flatulence. (laughs) I kept reading that and I was like, oh man, bad enough that you feel terrible. But now you have a symptom that is described as excessive flatulence. Oh, man. I hate getting bloated. So I can't even imagine being like swollen, not being able to breathe, nauseous, tired, and bloated. Just (laughs) farting up a storm. Oh, get me out of here. I would be like, we got to get off this mountain. Get me off this mountain. And you can actually see photos of people who are um, going to climb farting yes they're gonna climb everest 
that sometimes they'll take before and during pictures. So they will take a photo of what they look like just where they live. And then they'll take a photo of themselves at the Everest base camp. And you can actually see how Everybody swollen their faces into Madonna. get. I've heard about that recently that Madonna had some issues. Um, she's just, you know, she's living her best life and she's getting, you know, you either look old or you look snatched. And Madonna made thing, her choice. <laughs> the end thing is having a face full of face. A face full of face. And that's what happens with altitude sickness. Your face you swells, you get face. moon face. Yeah. yeah. Um, however, higher elevations, so we're getting up there, edema becomes the most serious issue. And there's two types of edema that are um, very bad, very bad. There's HAPE and HACE. The first of high altitude pulmonary edema is when fluid gets in your lungs. Uh-oh. You'll have symptoms that are extreme fatigue, severe shortness of breath even at rest, even laying down, dry cough that progresses to producing a frothy pink sputum, um, mm. which you can get at Starbucks, and uh, the other previously listed symptoms, so like headaches, stomach, stomach issues, extreme flatulence, um, <laughs> but to a more severe degree. Um, this can also be rapidly fatal. So um, the, one of the, the best ways best. to ameliorate this situation is to get off that dang mountain yeah just get get low just get low get low get low get low get low get low just start making your way not downtown but down the mountain hello the other hace which stands for high altitude cerebral edema is when you get fluid on that brain this is very very dangerous because you do not want fluid on your brain that's not where fluid goes I mean, some um, fluid, a reasonable amount of fluid. But not this much fluid. Not this much fluid. Yeah. Um, symptoms are fatigue, headache, visual impairment, confusion, loss of coordination, asymmetrical paralysis. Think like a stroke. Um, so you can't lift. You can lift your arms up, but only one goes up. You can think you're lifting your arms up, but only one goes up. Loss yeah, you of can do the smile of- test. Yeah. Have you heard that? Yeah, you ask someone to smile and if one side of their mouth curves up but the other doesn't or doesn't do it to the same degree, they're, you know, possibly Stroking having a stroke. Um, and then there's loss of control of the bladder and bowels. So you're just not in a good shape. You're not Mm-mm. in a good shape. Get off the mountain. Even coming down the mountain may not help with HACE. And that's because the brain has already been damaged. So... Yeah. um. There so are with the uh, HAPE, you come down off the mountain and it can alleviate the symptoms and your lungs might have some damage to them from this, but you can recover and get better. But once you have damage to the brain, that doesn't snap back really well. So that's not good. So there are good. medications for this. Um Acetylzolamide, um, which is a uh, brand name is Diamox. Uh, it can help making a rapid ascent um, better and prevent um, AMS, altitude mountain sickness. Um, you can start it 
before you go up the mountain and then continue to take it. It's also interestingly a sulfanamide, um, but it is non-antibiotic. And it also um, is reported that people that are allergic to sulfa drugs aren't allergic to acetylzolamide. So that I was, was actually, I was going to ask you that. I was like, if you're allergic to sulfa drugs, can you take this? Yeah. Isn't yes. that interesting? So Neat. that's a self-reported thing. So I don't know if it's for everybody. Like if you're allergic to sulfas, don't be like, oh, well, I can go up the mountain now and take it. Maybe check with your doctor first because we're not physicians and we're not Ooh. medical advisors. No. Could you imagine if you did take it and you had an allergic reaction, then your face would get real swole. You're having allergies and you're mountain sick. How would you tell the difference? Aren't they both like the same thing in terms of symptoms right now? Like yeah. Would you be like, oh no, is it the drug or the AMS? Or is it um, dehydration? The CDC recommends dexamethasone um, for severe altitude mountain sickness and um, high altitude cerebral edema during descents. Um, and then there is one more I want to, there's a few drugs that you can take. Um, you can take a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory. You can take steroids. Um, but a really fun one from South America is a treatment. It's a folk treatment and it involves making a tea out of the cocoa plant, out of the leaves. Cocoa plant. Coca. Not cacao. Cocoa. Cacao. Cacao. Not cacao. Cacao. Thank you, Portlandia. <laughs> yeah. Cacao. Um, I'm sleeping. <laughs> but in all cases, um, where were we? Oh, yeah. In all cases, uh, as with any uh, deprivation of oxygen at any level, you can get people who become confused, agitated, unable to communicate clearly or understand instructions. And then the giddiness, which do I have constant? altitude mountain sickness i don't think so i don't oh. think you're that high above sea level though you can get chronic mountain sickness as well but that's more for people who live at higher altitudes um hmm. whereas these other ones are more acute and yeah the giddiness um some people just react that way it's kind of a sensation of being high not just altitude wise but, but physiologically high um because you know some people like not having air yeah look at those people that do nitrous yeah and I get that funny sounding voice <laughs> so just that's a big issue in terms of any kind of altitude sickness is, is a confusion and just feeling either high or like yucky, just bloated, not feeling good and not really being able to focus very well. I and actually you put it in here too. You can say it. The flight crew one. Yeah. They actually will do this, this demonstration for flight crews um, where they, I think they have a certain chamber that they can depressurize, um, to simulate a loss of cabin pressure. And so they will do this and film them and they will be, they'll obviously keep it at a level where they're not going to die, 
but they'll try to get they'll tell them instructions like um you know do these certain things with the controls put on the face mask get a flotation device things like this and then they will have them repeat these exercises with an oxygen mask on and then they'll show them the side by side so the flight crew can actually watch how they reacted when they did not have supplemental oxygen and i mean they act goofy you can't understand what anybody's asking you to do you can't you cannot focus you can't do anything and it's quite terrifying because you'll be this way and you won't cognitively think that it's an issue because you have that lack of oxygen you're like oh this is fine everything's fine this is cool and meanwhile you're dying (laughs) which is bad meanwhile meanwhile so you know if you are in an airplane and there is no cabin pressure or the cabin pressure fails you have to put on your oxygen mask as soon as possible please put your mask on first and then attend to anyone sitting next to you that is having difficulties attaching their masks to their face thank you yes because if you try to help them first and you can't then you're probably not going to be able to do anything because you don't have a lot of useful consciousness after you're getting a like altitude sickness that quickly. I have a sidebar. I was at a volunteer thing and um, we were handing out things and we were requiring the people to put masks on too. And I was, I said, oh, here's your thing. And the woman said, hold on, uh, let me get the masks first. And so what she did was she put her mask on first and then she gave it to her husband. I was like, oh my gosh, she knows. You guys must've just been flying or something because she's applying hers first and then she's helping you. (laughs) She knows, she knows what's up. Yes, always put your mask on first. They'll be fine. It doesn't take that long. Pull the strings tight and then start to breathe. Even though, what is it? The bag will not inflate, but oxygen is flowing. I'm like, sure, Jan, I got the bad one. And you're not even, you're just giving us laughing gas. <laughs> hey, if the plane's going down, I'm all right with that. You know? Yeah, where's, can I have another drink, please? Can we <laughs> please, smoke please. yet? <laughs> no. Can we smoke? Never smoke yet? on an airplane. Not even in the lavatory. Nope. So what kind of repercussions have we had from this? None. No. No. <laughs> Everything's great. So take it away, Hannah. We have had lots of people who have died on Mount Everest, like I've said. And also, you know, any of the other great summits. There's the the seven summits. I cannot list them all. Uh, pretty much all I know is Everest. Mount but McKinley. Like, oh, do you know them? Mount Kilimanjaro. Mount Everest, Mount Blanc. I'm making up a list. Oh, okay. I was like, just mountains that I think are tall. Denver knows them. So there's seven summits, the I seven think highest. There's probably peaks. one in Patagonia or in the Atacama. No, that's the desert. You're, what is it? The Andes. Probably correct with that. Um, so I expect those ones have also have their fair share of altitude sickness. Um, if you have read Into Thin Air by John Krakauer, he actually went on this Everest expedition with a group of people who were trying to summit. Um, 
and that entire experience was a disaster it was really bad lots of people on this expedition passed away um and there is a point where at Everest when you reach a certain altitude they have you don't even have to bring your supplemental oxygen with you they actually have stations Hmm. with masks and bottles um and there was a point when they got there and it looked like all of the bottles were empty already. Oh no. So they didn't have supplemental oxygen. But the thing is, is that there's not a lot of clarity as to whether or not the bottles were actually empty or if they were already suffering from hypoxia from that lack of oxygen, that confusion. And so they only thought the bottles were empty and it was just that they weren't able to turn them on. Oh, and no. use them correctly. So that is not cute. Yeah, and that's why you know, in a plane, you need to put your oxygen mask on as soon as possible because it'll reach a point where you won't know to do that or you won't know how how to do it. Which is kind of good to know. I mean, should we just should we just like? I think it depends on the situation. If the plane is crashing, I'm not going to put on my mask. I'm just going to be like, let's go. Let's just go. I mean, if it's crashing, crashing, you're probably not going to have time to put on your mask. And also it won't be that much of an issue because your pressure is going to return to normal pretty quickly. <laughs> yes. But if it's like a slow descent and the cabin depressurizes, but they're still going to be able to land it, then mm-hmm. probably put on your oxygen mask so you can avoid brain damage. Yeah, I'm going to need a consult before I can put on my mask. And this, uh, this was actually the issue. I'm going to have the pilot come and consult. Can you help me with this, please? Yeah. This was the issue that happened on that flight that I was talking about. So this was in 2005. That was Helios Airlines flight 522. And this, the cabin actually entirely failed to pressurize. So this wasn't an accident from the beginning. Yeah. It wasn't like an explosive decompression of the plane. It was that there had been some maintenance done on the plane before this flight and the pressurization had been set to manual instead of automatic, which means the pilots would have had to manually set the pressurization and they didn't realize this. So you have checklists where you're supposed to check to make sure it's set to auto, but they missed it. That happens. Yeah, it does. It's not good. You need to pay attention to what you're doing, but I mean, it does happen. We're humans. So as the plane was ascending, the cabin just didn't pressurize. It was just air coming in, air going out. And when you reach a certain altitude, um, your brain is just not going to work. So the pilots didn't realize that this was the issue. The alarm started going off, but at this point, they didn't understand what the alarms meant. And there's some debate as to whether or not this was a lack of training, if it was because the alarm sounded similar to a different one, or if they were already confused. Loopy. Yeah. And so pretty much very quickly after takeoff, um, the plane went silent. And then they tried to get in contact with them and the autopilot was on, so it kept flying. Um, and it like wound up 
at the airport it was supposed to be at, but it just kind of kept circling because that will happen if the autopilot is engaged and nobody disengages it to actually land the plane. It'll keep coming around like, okay, we're getting ready to land. Okay, we're getting ready to land. Okay, we're getting ready to land. And it just never lands. I don't like that. I don't like it either. It's very frightening. Um, But they actually did, they actually scrambled um, fighter jets because this was 2005. They were concerned that this was not an accident, that maybe someone had taken control of the plane. And they actually, the people who were in the jets actually were able to look into the cockpit of the commercial airplane and um they saw a flight attendant um andreas prodromo um who was also a commercially licensed pilot um and he had a a uk pilot license um and he was working at this airline as a flight attendant because he was going to work his way up to becoming a pilot for them but they didn't have any openings right then. So he was just like going to work his way up the ranks. So he actually, they wonder if he passed out because he was in, in the main cabin mm-hmm. um, with the passengers because he was a flight attendant. And they wonder if he had passed out and then come to and managed to put an oxygen mask on. Mm-hmm. Um, or they're not super sure how he managed this, but he had actually managed to get a mask on and regained consciousness and gotten to the cockpit mm-hmm. and was trying to figure out how to send a mayday or land the plane but he wasn't trained on this particular plane oh my god and he was also probably confused because um the masks that descend in the plane for passengers those are actually connected to oxygen generators and that only lasts about 15 minutes. But I thought flight attendants and, and you're they right. Have little they have de- separate ones. Yeah. They have like and ones they can attach to their belt and like walk around and do stuff. Yes. But those also will run out eventually. So you have to constantly replace them. So it, it was just, he couldn't get control of the plane and then it, it actually did crash and nobody survived that. Welcome to sad science again. It's just not good. Because it was like he, you had people on board who should have been able to land this plane. More than one. You had pilot, first officer, and you also had a flight attendant who had a commercial pilot's license. But because of the altitude sickness, this hypoxia, this confusion, nobody was able to do anything. Mm. So it's very frightening. Yeah. Put your masks on. Please. <laughs> mask up. Mask Stand up. up. Mask up. Beautiful. So how are we affected today? Well, people are still climbing Everest, even though they probably shouldn't be. Oh, they do. They drop a lot of trash on Everest too. <sighs> Our friend from Nepal, when he mm-hmm. went back to visit, he didn't climb Everest, but they uh, he went with a group of friends to like, just look at you know the base of it and he said Mm -hmm. it's it looks awful like it's all torn up it's it's yucky so i don't know i wonder give her a break 
<laughs> go climb K2. Yeah. And give, give Everest a break. Yeah. I wonder if they litter so much because they have the altitude mountain sickness. I don't know. Maybe. They lose inhibitions to, to the right thing. Yeah. And then some of them become litter themselves and then Ooh. are used as landmarks. Hey. Don't like that. There's Joe. Turn left to Joe. Who's Joe? The, the dead guy. They actually do do that, but they describe them by what they're wearing. Oh, like red vest? Yeah, like red vest or green boots. They'll be hmm. like turn left at green boots, things like that. Hmm. Okay. It's pretty dark. <laughs> yeah, that is very dark. <laughs> <laughs> Read Into Thin Air by John Krakauer for more information about climbing Everest. <laughs> You can visit your local library and <laughs> check out into the air. Anyway, um, but yeah, people ski, people climb, and they fly. Um, the good news is in that most cases, reducing the altitude can improve the situation and help resolve the illness. Or you can take some of the medications, make a tea of a specific plant. <laughs> Have a nice tea. Now, the medications can help, but they're not going to resolve the sickness. A lot of them are used to improve your rate of acclimating. So you still need to be careful if you're going to be going up to a very high altitude. Right. It's not like you're going to get, you know, a cerebral edema and pop this pill and be like, I feel great. I'm fine. I'm better. It's no. when you get sickness of that level and they start giving you medicine, it's just so that they can get you down the mountain. Because if you are limp and you can't walk on your own, you're, you're staying up there. Rolling. You're not going to log roll down the mountain. No, She'll nobody's going to be able to help you. When she comes, She'll log roll down, the, down mountain. the mountain when she comes. <laughs> so... so. Yeah. So, so that wraps up this week's episode on altitude mountain sickness. It does. Denver, do you have any additional thoughts? Um, I was thinking while I was looking this up, I was like, I don't think this is something I want to do. I don't want to climb a mountain. Mm -mm. I am not interested in that. So I, I don't think that I will experience this unless I travel to a high altitude city and having done that already I think I'm just gonna be like am I dehydrated because it's dry or am I altitude sickness from now on they do say if you're feeling things at a high altitude that it could be dehydration or it could be mountain sickness to just assume that it's mountain sickness okay because I've gone to Phoenix before and that ain't as high as Denver. They ain't a bowl. No. They a bowl. Um, but I think it was like a similar thing. But now I'm just going to, I'm going to, I'm going to start saying that. I'm going to be like, if I ever go to a Denver, I'm gonna, I have altitude mountain segments. I've got to, I've got to. I've got to go. I've got to go. I'm okay to go. A, what's that Ivy thing that you sponsored? That sponsored oh, you? Liquid <laughs> IV. Yeah, One I'm stick of that. liquid IV and 16 ounces of water hydrates better than water alone. <laughs> I listen to way too many podcasts, y'all. What are your thoughts, Hannah? Um, I am on board with you. I don't think I'm ever going to try to climb Everest. I mean, no. 
I went and saw that movie. Terrifying. What movie? Everest. Oh. Does that have Leonardo DiCaprio in it? No. It has Josh Brolin in it, I think. Oh. Yeah. That is... Um... Oh, is it Barbara Streisand's stepson? Isn't Josh have... Brolin Barbara Streisand's stepson? I have no idea. I'm going to be real with you. I don't know. I just know he was in the Goonies. I think maybe so. Anyway. No, I'm not going to climb a mountain. Well, I mean, I might hike, like, hike up a nice low a cute mountain. mountain. Like, an, a, an adorable mountain. Mm, mm-hmm. <laughs> but I'm not going up a big headache mountain. Mm-mm, mm-mm. And um, I don't ski. So and that won't we be an also issue. don't don't live in um, Kashmir or Nepal or no Tibet. Like I said, a nice sturdy sixteen hundred feet. That's where I am. Thank you. It's it's a very comfortable level above the sea. Um, and also, I don't really like to fly very much, so I don't think that's going to be an issue for me of of cabin depressurization. Oops. Um, not into it Mm-mm. Mm-mm. all right well thanks again for listening uh to our episode oh my gosh did i just have altitude mountain sickness because i couldn't read what i was reading um to our episode on altitude mountain sickness follow us on twitter or instagram at scary science pod or drop us a note question or comment via email at scary science pod at gmail.com We hope you join us next time that science gets scary. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Scary Science. Scary Science is not approved by the FDA to diagnose or treat any illness. This podcast is copyright 2022 by Insomnius Media Productions. All rights reserved. No reproduction of this podcast is permitted without the consent of Insomnius Media Productions.